0: Visit RobertHalf.com today.
1: He is just an obsessive goal scorer.
0: Well, they have to understand I'm just to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and
2: blinks it back. I've got a problem with soccer free throwing footballs. Oh, what a start! What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. I
3: would love- Welcome to House of Champions, YouTube friends, drop in your comments and questions in that chat and make sure you hammer the like and subscribe buttons as we get stuck into the Champions League and also review today's quarterfinal second leg as the quarterfinals wrap up in the House of Champions. Today we got Michael LaHood, Nigel Rio Coker, Jonathan Johnson is somewhere. He'll be joining us in just a minute. Boys, how you doing, Mike?
1: Well, I'm doing good. Exciting matches, especially the match at the San Siro and uh, Bayern Munich are out. So today's a good day.
3: It is a good day. Nigel, what do you think about the games overall today? It's good. It wasn't
0: too bad. And if I'm honest, I think I'm a bit disappointed, really and truly. I think when, when I watch the Champions League, there's only one team that really stands out for me, and that's Real Madrid, just because of their approach to the game. You know, I think for us as fans, you want to see both teams really going for it. I think it's become a bit too tactical and a bit too scared to lose games.
3: Do you think we lost a little bit of that oomph from the fact that there's no away goals last year? We all got carried away with that fact. And now all of a sudden, tactically, people are trying to play it correctly, right? Yeah, people I think people are just a bit
0: too scared. They're too scared to to lose by a significant number, and it just seems so super tactical now. You look at Man City last week at home, sensational. I understand they got the three nil lead. It's a bit of a different approach, but still it was just it wasn't great entertaining football, in my opinion.
3: Mm. Yeah, I, I don't agree know with you, about yeah. that. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, all I heard was uh, it entertaining. It was an entertaining match. It wasn't quality football.
0: Wait, what match? Say. The Bayern match. That was not entertaining football, Michael. I don't know Mate, what you were watching. What do you mean? I don't it's know not how entertaining Nigel. Let me you go. Had. Let, me, let me glasses let me. on. Let that me was go back. entertaining.
1: Let me go back and point out the things that happened. <laughs> Upa Meccano made it entertaining. You start off with a, a potential red card, and then it's rescinded to an offside. Erling,
3: Holland remember, we're getting into this game later kick. on. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I, there are mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. many facets to this. I was entertained. Hopefully, by
3: I that time, Ian,
1: he'll sober up.
3: Hopefully I thought he was talking about. That. I thought he was talking about the championship games that were taking place in England today, let alone the Champions League. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. Welcome along to everybody at the House of Champions. The boys are obviously excited to get stuck into it. Clearly disagreeing in many ways. It's not the first time on our show we will discuss what happened in Munich between Bayern Munich and of course Manchester City a little bit later on. But let's discuss what happened in Milan today. Inter having an opportunity to face Milan in the semi-final. They were two 0 up going into this game. The game finished three three today. Uh, started off Mike with a wonder goal from. Barella once again. His ninth goal of the season, if I'm not mistaken, not bad as well. Yep.
1: Yeah, and his third goal in the UEFA Champions League now tied for Team High. Inter isn't a team that scores often or that much as of late, but when they do, they make it count. This is a guy that lives for the big moment this season. He's taken his game to another level, picking and choosing when to arrive in the box. And when he does, he's got that finishing touch that you like to see from midfielders in advance. Roll. Lautaro Martinez is another guy. On the score sheet, his first goal in, I think, 10 matches, that is big for Inter Milan as they progress to the semifinals.
3: Uh, Nigel, before we get you in, let's bring uh, Jonathan Johnson into the show. With us as well. a little round of applause for Jonathan Johnson as he's entering the show right here. There he is. Welcome to the show, JJ. We're discussing obviously what took place in Milan between Inter and uh, Benfica, and I just want to remind everybody: it, was nine, it wasn't nine goals; it was eight goals this season, all competitions for Barella. Three Champions League goals this campaign from him as well, and also a little stat for you here, Nigel. Before you jump in, Nicolo Barella, the third Inter to score in both legs of a Champions League knockout fixture after Christian Vieri did it in 2002-03 in the quarterfinal against Valencia and Ayan Stankovic did it in 2005-06 against Ajax Amsterdam. Nigel, your thoughts on this game in particular? Good little comeback and fight back at least from Benfica. They didn't give up.
0: Yeah, they didn't give up. Good little comeback but a little too late uh, for me. I think for me, again, when you look at the first leg and you look at this leg, Ian, the experience of Inter Milan showed how important it is. You know, and I see it so many times. We all see it when certain managers going to clubs and they want to rely on youth and stuff. They're great. I believe best football clubs that we see in world football are a mixture of experience and youth. That is the best way to be. There's very few clubs who can come with the right amount of youth to ever win something of any significance. It doesn't happen. You need experience. And I think that's what showed today when you look at this interline lineup, the amount of experience that's there, not just domestically, internationally as well, as well as the Champions League. That is what really was the downfall of Benfica. I thought Benfica were fantastic. I feel that mm-hmm. they're only really a couple of players away from it. I think they're really lacking that creative element. And also, I'll say now, watching this Benfica side, I see now what Enzo Fernandez brings to this team. And selling mm-hmm. Enzo Fernandez as reluctantly as they were, I think he could have played a huge difference in this game. But the experience of Inter got them through. Um, And Inter looked good. Inter looked good. And I'm I'm going to be honest with you, Inter remind me of that very average Chelsea team that won the Champions League not so long
2: ago. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting that you say that though, Nigel, because it takes me back to the beginning of the second half. And I thought when Benfica had that penalty shout, which I admit, I mean, I thought was a nailed on penalty. I wasn't thought it's playing. not really going to matter that much in the grand scheme of things. But when you look at how Benfica got back into it in the last 10 minutes, suddenly mm. that penalty decision takes on a lot more importance. You know, you potentially add that on. There's only one goal in it. And who knows how Benfica would have played had they been uh, sort of back in it as they were at that stage, because they would have actually been leading on the night had that penalty been awarded and had they scored it. So for me, I think Benfica can feel hard done by there did leave it a little too late. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I do think that over the two legs, they probably could have raised their game a little bit earlier than they did. But, you know, still something to potentially work towards for the future. Like you said, uh, you know, totally right. You know, having Enzo ripped out of the, the midfield, unfortunately, midway through the season doesn't help. But, you know, if Benfica showed us anything over the last couple of years, they don't miss the key players that they cash in on. So I'm sure that they will be back uh, with a well retooled squad for, for next season. And I think... I think Roger Schmidt can, you know, probably feel a little frustrated that his team have kind of crapped out a little bit in the last couple of weeks because they were in fantastic form in the first half of the season. But overall, I think the better team advanced.
3: Yeah, I'm with you there, JJ. I think obviously they can feel hard done by. They just haven't performed when it mattered most, right? It's been a fairy tale journey to get to this stage. And then all of a sudden, once you get to the big dance, right, we're talking the latter stages of a Champions League, getting to a semi-final would have been a tremendous achievement. It already was a tremendous achievement getting to the quarterfinal, considering they've sold over a billion euros worth of players over the last five years. It's very difficult to do that, to be competitive when you continuously sell your best players. And to Nigel's point, what would this team be like, they kept a hold of maybe two or three of those mm. players just impossible for them to do so with the, the offers that come in let's turn our attention to Inter who now face Milan in the semi final. it is a bit of a mouthwatering tie but Inter domestically Mike not doing great but in the Champions League especially the way they started they knew if they got a draw they were through it's easy to kind of you know, take your mind away from the fact that a draw does enough for Inter to go through. They started off very well again with Barella, and then obviously continuing the goal scoring, going through this game. I thought they played well overall. Inter in this game and yeah. over the two ties definitely deserve to be in that semi final.
1: Yeah, they were more measured in how they played, watching him as of late in Serie A. It was end-to-end stuff. You're getting goals, but then the goals start drying up and the back line, that was a big question mark in league play. The back line looked a bit more assured. Late on not so much, but the the tie was done and dusted. You take off some of your danger players in attack, you're gonna absorb a lot of pressure. In this matchup, in the semifinals, who would have thunk that we'd have a Milan derby when it was teed up, when the knockout stages were rolled out? We were talking about Napoli being the team. It was Napoli-verse, Napoli direct path to the final. Now it's going to be a Milan team, and I think rightfully so. These are two teams that are getting hot at the right moment in the UEFA Champions League knockout stages. And mind you, this isn't the sort of gimme game that some teams or some people might be thinking that it's going to be a one-way traffic for AC Milan. Inter Milan have beaten AC Milan twice since the turn of the year. A player who loves to play against AC Milan, Lautaro Martinez. This guy shows up. It's We all have those games as players. You remember it. I remember it. Nigel, you remember it. When you see a team on the team sheet, you know I'm going to have a good game. AC Milan is that team for Latoro Martinez, and it's going to be one heck of a matchup.
3: Hey, Mike, before you jump in, JJ, Mike, I want to jump in here. Just a little quiz time for you and everybody out there who's actually listening. Lautaro Martinez has scored nine goals for Inter in the Champions League. Only four players have scored more goals for the Nerazzurri in the competition. Can you name those four players, Michael LaHood? JJ, feel free to jump in. Nigel, you too. You
1: said for this season?
3: No, not this season. All time. All time. Uh, Shevchenko? Nope. All right. Shevchenko? <laughs> for I'm, oh, for inter! I'm not even thinking of the right. Yeah. I'll just give I you the, the answers. Sauce. How about that one? This one's taken a while. Adriano with 14, Julio Cruz with 13, Aaron Crespo with 11, Samuel eto with 10, JJ Smiling because he probably would have got all four of them. Nigel,
2: not sure no, I was, th- probably, I was just so. thinking actually. Cruz, uh <laughs> Cruz is a good one. He was kind of a deceptive player because he'd always pop up off the bench, but. Uh, you you wouldn't have them at the top of uh, of one of those lists, but uh, no, I mean I'm excited for for the Milan derby, and I do think it's you know it's a bit of a throwback as well. It's been a while since we've had uh, you know Italian teams making deep runs like this in Europe. You know it's actually the first time that uh, Inter have been to the semi-finals of the Champions League since 2010, when they won it won it under Jose. So uh, you know I do think that it comes with. Uh, you know, uh, a a good amount of prestige and, you know, it'll be a real occasion. Uh, you know, both legs, obviously, uh, you know, it's, to be played in the same stadium is always quite unique as well. So it's uh, yeah, something to look forward to uh, for sure. And uh, I, I'm sure it's going to be keenly contested. Just fingers crossed, uh, you know, that it's not as dull as the last time these two met at this late stage in Europe. when I think it finished 1-1 in one of the games and 0-0 in the other. So one of them advanced on away goals. Uh, I'd I, like to clarify something before we get into it, Ian.
0: Uh, Michael said about hmm. we used to look at lists when we were players of a certain team that we wanted to play well against. That wasn't my style. I was Mr. Consistent. I was all about consistency. So I didn't have a specific team to pick like Michael who picked and choose <laughs> when he would turn up. There's a difference there of consistent players. Anyway, Nigel Coca, the shit house reconnoisseur. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> Two foot. Anyway, listen. Mike you covered it up. I think for me, though, the only thing I'll disagree slightly with Mike is I feel that for me, Inzaghi and Inter Milan will be concentrating on the Champions League more so than the domestic form. I think that's a way for yeah. Inter Milan to really save their season and also for Inzaghi as a manager to save himself. I think really and truly, when you look at them domestically, this is something great and, Good and this is the game that they'll concentrate on. I think their priority will be the Champions League while AC Milan is still obviously competing domestically very far behind Napoli, but they're still competing. So I think that this is going to be a priority for Inter Milan. So I think that's where the slight difference comes in in my opinion.
3: Real quickly, before we do go to break here, JJ, um, obviously the Juve verdict, we're all waiting to see if they'll get their 15 points back. Would that be a distraction for both Milan clubs? Because both of them are not guaranteed to end up in a Champions League spot, top four spot in Serie A if Juve do get their points back.
2: Yeah, I mean, it suddenly ups the stakes even more. I mean, I don't think you really need much more motivation than being in a Champions League semi-final against your bitter rivals. But then suddenly, if you see Juve getting those points back, obviously very contentious. But that sounds like uh, you know, it's starting to to become more of a reality in sort of the last couple of hours. Obviously, uh, you know, we'll all have our eyes on uh on the Italian scene the next day or so to see when those announcements actually get made but you know if if suddenly Juve rocket back up that table with those points reinstated that completely changes the complexion uh, of the way that these two teams will be sort of you know balancing whether they still prioritize Serie A uh, and the Champions League even to be honest to me it sounds ridiculous but that you would prioritize Serie A when you have this opportunity to get to a Champions League final and to beat your your most hated rivals in doing Mm -hmm. so.
3: Yeah, pretty crazy. Indeed. I'd like to thank Leticia Santos for jumping in and remembering that I said, Ian, remember when you said that Porto could be Inter two Portuguese teams later? I'll say you were
2: oh, not oh, right. Oh, thank oh. you very much. Mike Leticia, Michael, right who right didn't now. somebody else fancy a Portuguese team? In <laughs> yeah, time. you know,
1: I couldn't I couldn't help but remember maybe is it last week that uh, one of our contributors here in the bottom right hand corner, um, he's 0 for 2. In this, hey, region, listen, <laughs> I will
0: have no problem in giving uh, credit to fantastic attacking playing football. That's my, that's what I give credit to, and they did that, but obviously they fell short. But they're not far off; they're not that far off.
3: No, nope. we certainly look forward
0: to watching Ed, Ed. Don't give me a six <laughs> out of ten, geezer. Ed. I'm an eight out of ten, week in week out. All right.
3: Cheeky consistent bugger. sixes are not consistent are they we'll Nigel, give, give you like we'll average. give you a 7 oh. out of 10 <laughs> for playing out of position he must have the wrong,
0: he's got the wrong Nigel mate not a 6 out of 10 <laughs> he's an 8 out of 10
3: I think he was I think he was talking about your performances on House of Champions anyway let's get to break everybody when we come <laughs> back we'll turn it Gen- to the six. game <laughs> in Munich against Manchester <laughs> City stick around if you're a U.S.-based fan of the beautiful game, Paramount Plus is an absolute must-have subscription from NWSL to the Champions League to Serie A and so much in between. Not sure if it's for you, big question mark, Then you can try one month for free by using the code NWSL2023. Welcome back to House of Champions, everybody. Enjoy alongside Michael Hood, Nigel Rio Coker, and Jonathan Johnson. We turn our attention over to the big game that took place in Munich. It was Bayern Munich against Manchester City. City with a 3-0 advantage going into this game. Um... I think it's safe to say, JJ, I'm coming to you first on this one, but I think it's safe to say that this was not Upamecano's tie whatsoever. This was a poor performance from Upamecano. I have rarely seen him perform like this over two games, but he was very, very lucky not to have been recorded in that first half.
2: You see, it's funny for me because I'd kind of bought into the Upamecano hype this season, especially after the World Cup, when he'd been very convincing, more so than usual, I wasn't entirely sold on Upper Meccano in his sort of early days with Bayern. Uh, like I said, I kind of came around to him midway through this season. And then these two legs against Manchester City have reminded me exactly why I was so sceptical uh, about Upper Meccano. Uh, I don't think that he's become a poor defender overnight, but I do think that there are certain roles in the defence that he plays better than others. And... I think perhaps Thomas Tuchel has misjudged it and maybe given him a little bit too much responsibility in terms of trying to structure the defense. Uh, you know, I don't think he's that kind of player Good who point. deals well with with those kind of expectations. I think you're probably better off going with somebody like Matthias De Ligt, who's had, uh, you know, probably the most elite tactical uh, education you can get uh, at Ajax and then going to, to Juventus. I think that's probably a better way forward. I mean, some of this is down to just bad luck, uh, but also some of it is down to decision-making. And that's something that Thomas Tuchel is either going to have to coach out of Upper Meccano or he's going to have to consider sort of what he wants to do long-term with, you know, this Bayern Munich defence. And, you know, it's not just something that extends to Upper Meccano. We already know that Bayern are going to have to do something in attack because they can't keep relying on true promoting, performing these miracles and scoring goals that we never expected him to score. Uh, you know, and I yep. think there's other aspects, other areas of the team as well where big decisions are going to have to be made. You know, Jan Sommer, as much as he was a good stopgap solution for for Neuer when Neuer was injured, does Neuer walk straight back into that team and sort of give that defense the the reassuring presence behind them that they need? Very possibly because they don't look half as well organized when he's not there. Good I point. think for me, just just to add to what JJ said,
0: Ian, uh, and guys, I think Umpa Mukanu for me, reminds me of sometimes when you meet some of these academies, when they're developing these young players, some of these academies go more so for the physical attributes of a player than the footballing intelligence and footballing capabilities. And that's what I saw in that. For me, he just wasn't there for Mm -hmm. both ties. You're playing against the highest level of players and it's not his fault. You know, it's not what, it's not his problem that they haven't really developed his footballing brain in the sense Mm -hmm. of knowing, understanding the players you're coming up against and just being a bit more responsible. But it's just more so the physical Mm. attributes of him is what I see more than anything else. When I look at this tie overall, first, Ian could probably add more than we can ever add. I did not see Bayern Munich looking like a team that wanted to come and win this game, needing to win this game. And for me, I just didn't see the the, the real aggression that's needed when you're playing at home. I felt for me as well, Thomas Tuchel got it wrong in his starting lineup. I think for me that Muller should have started. Alfonso Davis is their best attacking player. I think Alfonso Davis brings so much in the attacking third, as well as being very good defensively. I didn't understand how he didn't start. And for me, again, Bayern Munich, I believe now got it wrong in sacking Thomas Tuchel. I mean, not talking about Nagelsmann. And and, and I think they should have just stuck with Nagelsmann to the end of the season. Because it just doesn't... I don't see a big change. You could put your finger away. I don't see a big change (laughs) from what I've seen in this Bayern Munich. But if anything, I've seen regression instead of progression. And my last thing is, I give credit to Pep. Because if you watch the start of that game, what did Pep Guardiola do to Bayern Munich? He kept the play out of Cancelo's side. Let's let them go on the other side to Upa... Upa oh, God, I can't even say his name. <laughs> so I'm just saying... So Upa Makano. Gun- no. Upa <laughs> side and keep away from Cancelo because Pep Guardiola knows how influential Cancelo can be. And i give credit to coaching there. And that is a great manager there who done a tactical change. I don't know how many people saw that, but I saw that how they wanted to keep the play on the opposite side away from Cancelo so he can't have a, a real influence in this game. And then the one last thing I'm going to say... Again, more talk about how vulnerable <laughs> Bayern Munich and Man City can be in the counter-attacking situation. Their best chance they had was Sadio Mane, who should have scored. When Mane didn't score that chance, when Bayern Munich didn't get one goal at least in the first half, that game was done because there was no chance mm. they can get three goals in the second half. And I guess they're missing a certain striker, Kulwindowski, that Ian really loves so much as well. They are missing a real true striker.
1: Yeah, nine's, nines, before I go in on my points, we were talking about 6 out of 10. As Ian said in the chat, you were definitely venturing below 3 out of 10 and not getting Nupa <laughs> Makano's name right. It's not Sadio Mane, it was Leroy Sané. So I said clearly, Sané, you do say Sané? You said Sadio Mane. So clearly you were sorry, watching sorry. a different sorry. version of the Champions League. Okay, well, I, I can I see I now
0: why Mane punched him in the face for missing that chance. How about that?
1: We can both <laughs> yeah. agree on that. I, so a slight tweak for me that I, I think, I thought Bayern started the game brightly. I actually was scratching my head outside of the offside, called offside, the potential red card that was reversed to an offside. I thought the way Bayern started, the aggression they showed, everyone was flying except for one player. It was Jamal Musiala. I thought this is one of his worst games in a Bayern jersey I've seen for a long time. Couldn't the get ball gone. would get to his oh, the ball would get to his feet one too many touches, couldn't get his balance right. That is not the Musiala that we're used to seeing. It looked like the occasion was too big for the young player. I do agree with you that Leroy Sané, it was just written in the stars. I actually liked that he went with Sané and Jao Cancelo in this second leg because that gives you ultimate attack. Alfonso Davies, I think he was sitting on a yellow card from the first leg. Maybe that's why he didn't pick him in the starting 11, but – If you don't take care of business against this Man City side that has Erling Haaland, you will get punished. City, they, they simplified their game. They absorb pressure, and they just launched it forward on the goal that they scored, the goal that Holland scored. It was 1v2, Erling Haaland versus two center backs from Bayern Munich. He wins the ball over Delict, knocks it to Kevin De Bruyne, and then De Bruyne springs him in. And when you're 1v1 against Upa Meccano, you might as well put my next-door neighbor, Jose Cruz, yes, I call him by full name, because if you see him, <laughs> you'll know why. Jose could have <laughs> defended better than Upa Meccano did across his tie, and sure as hell in this matchup. I feel for the guy, but he's doing it to himself. And the warning signs have been there. The warning signs are there at Leipzig. The warning signs are there, at JJ. I'm glad you said it. Erlin is Bayern career. The inconsistency and mental lapses from Uka Makano is very, very damaging and could be the nail in the coffin for his Bayern career.
2: I spied a uh, comment there at the bottom saying that Nagelsmann want to be smiling away with his uh, severance pay. I've actually got a question for, for Ian, because we've seen a lot of weird behavior from Thomas Tuchel since he's taken over as buying coach. Obviously started off on a high beating Dortmund. There was very apologetic when they went out of the DFB-Pokal. You know, tempers really, uh, you know, running high towards the end of that game. Do you think there's visibly uh, sort of a, a recognition on, on Tuchel's part that he has taken on a, a bigger task than he thought? Because it certainly seems in in recent weeks with everything that's gone on that suddenly what seemed like it could be a walk in the park end to the season for, for Tuchel, given how he walked into Chelsea and won the Champions League with them. It's fast turning into a bit of a nightmare with uh, with Bayern. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's crisis period just yet, but there's definitely more work there to be done than I think he first thought.
3: Yeah, I think he's he's recognizing very quickly there's a lot more work to be done with the Bayern Munich side to certainly get them back competitive at the highest level, the elite level. Domestically, the title is pretty much being handed to them with the teams around them losing games. So I think they'll still win the title with relative ease, even though you're 100% right. Um, it's not been as easy domestically as he would have imagined. I think he recognizes, JJ, that the challenge that has faced him. And one of the reasons why they maybe made this change with Nagelsmann, and maybe they would have liked to have made it earlier, is that Tuchel, Tuchel was available. And, and Tuchel basically was saying, you've got to take me now, otherwise there may be an opportunity for me elsewhere. And that's maybe why Bayern moved very quickly to get him in the hot seat. The project now has to be a long-term project for Bayern Munich. When you lose Lewandowski, I think we can all recognize you lose those goals in the Champions League, double figures every year. You lose them domestically, you're losing a 20, 30, 40 goal a season player. You can't just replace that easily. That takes planning, that takes scouting, that takes also the investment from the football club to replace a goal scorer like that. Otherwise, you have to get lucky within the Bundesliga, which they might do with Kolo Muani or someone like that, where they normally go to for their strikers to rebuild what's going on. Bayern are not far away from being competitive. Defensively is where my concern is at. I don't think it's going to be hard for them to convince a striker, a top striker, to come to the football club to score goals. Defensively, seeing that type of performance from quality players is really concerning to me then you've got the discipline of neuer then you've got the discipline of uh, obviously sane Mane. like you've got discipline in that locker room things are going wrong at bayern munich right now and they have been going wrong for a while and it's almost as if thomas tuchel has got in there and he's wondering now oh my god like what, what have i just inherited this is a mess these players have got to get back to what they do best they've got to get confident once again they've got to get competitive once again and bayern munich will never spend over 100 million on a player as far as I'm concerned. So it's going to be a long way for them to compete at this level again. Nigel, what do you think?
0: No, I agree with you. I think Tuchel's just got into a mess, but the reality of it is he's probably looking at Chelsea now thinking he's left probably a bigger mess behind. So he's in a lose-lose situation anyway. Um, yeah, I don't think Bayern Munich are that far off it. I think, yes, you're right. Defensively, yes. And then obviously they need that goal scorer. That goal scorer is what's missing. We all know here one thing we can definitely agree on is goals change games? If Bayern Munich yep. had gone in one nil up at half time, mm-hmm. the atmosphere in the stadium would have changed, the belief would have changed, and they probably could have come back to really level up that game. But if you don't take your chances and opportunities, and they had tremendous amount of attu- opportunities, you're not going to win games, especially at that highest level, and you will be punished. And that's what Manchester City did
3: well you could also say the same about Manchester City with Erling Haaland missing his penalty kick that's the, the penalty kick yep. he has missed for the first Ooh. time in the last 16 attempts in all club competitions the last one he missed was for Dortmund against Union Berlin 2021 I believe that's the first penalty kick that he's missed um, for Manchester City as well which was uh, obviously disappointing um, but he did get an score sheet in the second half let's real quickly turn our attention to Manchester City now they they do obviously have a delightful tie to look forward to Mike <laughs> against Real Madrid very difficult one to predict here because you've got Pep going up against Ancelotti and Ancelotti I can see in our comments many people thinking that maybe there's a game plan here against Pep to get the job done.
1: Yeah, I, I think on the counter, Bayern showed a side of Manchester City and showed a weakness that City can be got at. If City play with this back three, Ancelotti is not afraid to leave the likes of Vinicius Jr. and Kareem Benzema up top. If you put Vinicius Jr. on the end of that Leroy Sané attempt, not Sadio Mane, Leroy Sané, a mad attempt. If Vinny Jr. is on there, that is 1 0 Real Madrid, and you have a complete different scoring line. I think this is a trap game for Manchester City. I'm actually favoring Re- Real Madrid a bit in this tie.
3: Mm. Nigel?
0: I agree with Mike. I- I'm completely favoring Real Madrid, in my opinion. <laughs> I think that what you just have to say, you go look at it, Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo you got Valverde. There's so much pace and quality attack. you got the experience of Modric and Kroos. We say these players again and again, but the football and the football intelligence and quality that they have, and we've seen it. Man City are very vulnerable when they give the ball away on a counter-attack. Vinicius Junior is going to want to embarrass Manchester City players. He's going to play with an aggression. Every game he plays, he wants to embarrass people and let people know his name. I think we saw Rodrigo, how great he was the other day. Benzema's going to want to score against these guys. So I think it's going to be a different appetite. And then don't forget, we've got Kamavinga, Michael's favourite player now. And then... Uh, <laughs> 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 I just think that it's it's going to be a great cracking game, but I just feel that Real Madrid will be the favourite to go through again.
2: JJ? I don't know. I can, I can feel it being a bit of a crazy one again. Uh, you know, like last time, I think this one's going to have something special in store for us. It wouldn't surprise me if we think that Manchester City are going to get it done and then Real Madrid somehow come back from the dead, seeing as we've written them off so many times in the last couple of years and they come back to to thwart our uh, predictions. But uh, no, this, this one is really intriguing because Real Madrid can put everything into these two legs uh, against city. You know, they don't, they, they don't have a chance of reeling, uh, you know, Barcelona at the top of La Liga now. And to be honest, they don't seem like they're that interested in doing so. So I think that they can put everything into a perfect two-legged performance. And uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to to call. I don't think it's going to be a a blowout on, uh, on either side. Really, wouldn't surprise me if it went beyond 180. I just want to add something here quickly, right? So you know how people are yep. thinking, oh, Haaland's going to be the difference. This is a
0: difference when you come to like Real Madrid. Real Madrid are the establishment. Man City are the new kids on the block. Haaland is a top-class player. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. But when you got Rüdiger in Real Madrid as well, and how impactful he can be in that defense, you know Rüdiger's job is. It's not going to be about playing football. His pride is going to come about not letting Haaland score. So he's going to have that competitive nature not to let Erling Haaland score. And that's the difference where it it becomes more than football and it's about the individual personnel players that you have in your team. Just like how we saw today with Bernardo Silva being the one responsible to stop Cancelo coming forward and making it difficult for Bayern Munich. It becomes about the individual players that you pick because of the opponents they're going against.
2: But when you're talking yeah, about that great. kind of mentality, when when you're talking about that kind of mentality as well, I mean, look at the situation Tony Coz is in right now, where he's debating retirement or another season at the very highest level with Real Madrid, where he doesn't look out of place yeah. at all. It's oh, it's absolute madness, it's but ridiculous. you know that that is the the level of absolute you know brilliance that you have to have and have to demand from yourself when you're playing yeah. for a club like Real Madrid. Hundred percent. So, so
3: nobody nobody here's thinking that Manchester City could wipe the floor against Real Madrid.
2: Oh, I would we'll say wipe no. right the no chance. No, no,
3: I'm not saying Priority. Right Inter I mean, You don't think? Priority. Nobody here's thinking that the Man City, this Man City team, could score three or four against this Real Madrid team. No one said they might score three or, or four, but then yeah. score three or <laughs> four <Yeah>. as well.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. This is going to be all about who can <laughs> score the most goals across two legs. <laughs> That's what this. You game score
3: is four, be. we'll score more. Yeah. All right, quick break from us boys. Then we'll turn our attention to the Europa League when we return. Stick around, everybody. Welcome back to As The Champions, everybody. Enjoy Michael Hood, Nigel Rio Coker, and Jonathan Johnson with you. JJ, real quickly, I know you've been working on this pretty closely with Laporta, meeting up with Tebas at La Liga's General Assembly. Um, give us a little bit of an outlook as to what's going on here. We were trying to discuss it yesterday.
2: It's very confusing to follow everything that's going on here, but it's a bit of a mess right
3: now in Spain, right?
2: Uh, no pressure for me then trying to make sense of this absolute farce, uh, in, you know, the last couple of days in Spain. No, I mean, it, it is crazy. I mean, I think it all really kicked off uh, on Monday, uh, you know, when Real Madrid released that lengthy video, uh, you know, with, I mean, there was so much in there, so much to unpack. It's uh, too much to, to kind of get into the weeds uh, about it right now. But, you know, all these links to to, to like Franco and the accusations that, that Real Madrid were the team of the regime. And basically all of this kind of stems from the the, the Negrera case uh and these accusations of uh you know buying uh you know the referee's favor and Laporta shooting back at both La Liga and Real that you know historically Real have been sort of the the club that benefits from that kind of preferential treatment anyway and then you've got a lot of different people uh you know sort of jumping in uh you know having their opinion as well and it's uh, honestly it is really it's been difficult to follow difficult to unpack i did my best in the article that was published a couple of hours ago on the site so go and check it out if you want to try and enlighten yourself about it a little bit but it really is that crazy with some of the accusations that have been leveled and you know this is arguably the biggest rivalry in in football uh, you know if not one of the sort of top 3 rivalries in the world you know, it didn't need any, you know, animosity or stoking the fire. And this suddenly is like, this is like throwing a can of uh, of, of petrol onto a, onto a bonfire. It's, you know, going to be incendiary, you know, both on and off the pitch. And, uh, you know, you're kind of wondering what twist and turn it's going to take next. Because, you know, some of the stuff that guys like Laporta is putting out there at this moment in time. And then Real to put that kind of video out there. This is, we're, we're really into sort of inflammatory territory now.
0: Ian, I've just got to say there, ladies and gentlemen, that JJ is a bit upset now that the Spanish have overtaken the French when it comes to football and drama. <laughs> JJ is upset that the Spanish have outdone the
2: French in this. Oh, you see, Most you see kind of the, the the French is like, you know, they're, cu- they're a couple of seasons into the drama now. This is like a telenovela that's sometimes good, sometimes not so good. You know, you tune in every now and then. <laughs> It's not quite as absorbing. (laughs)
3: <laughs> All right, let's get back on track here with the Europa League coming up, obviously, tomorrow on Thursday. Really looking forward to watching these matches. Um, Mike, I'll come to you first here. Let's just uh, a quick reminder for everybody. Sevilla against Manchester United, 2-2. It's tied right now. Sporting Lisbon against Juventus. Juve with a 1-0 advantage. Roma, Feyenoord. Feyenoord, 1-0 up. Union saint against Leverkusen tied at 1. Mike, Manchester United, obviously, um, buoyed a little bit by the fact that there are players returning from injury. Uh, tough place to go play, especially in this competition, the Europa League against the severe side to somehow manage to find a way into a 2-2 game last time at Old Trafford.
1: This is a severe side that just, they won't go away. They're that pesky, pesky team that just knows how to play in cup competitions. What hasn't gone right for them in league form, this is a, t- a side that was near relegation for a majority of the season. They've been in disarray, sacked multiple managers, I think on their third manager of the season, made for this Europa League. But Manchester United, they are getting their most important player, aside from Casemiro, Marcus Rashford, Seeing his name on the injury update, that let me breathe a sigh of relief. I'm actually going to have some cognac after this just to cheers that. Shout out to the cognac club, by the way. You know who you are. But I'm going to have some cognac just to cheers that because that is a big boost for them. Luke Shaw as well in the back line with the recent injuries. Martinez being out, Luke Shaw could he play center back? Mike's lost he's, a, he, he's
3: lost his train
2: of thought here, hasn't he?
3: He's, he's already on the sauce. Let me finish
1: this one out because I'm 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 just licking my lips thinking about the content. He's, he's,
2: he's going through the labels in his head. He's like, what, what have I got? What have I got in the cupboard? <laughs> I was,
1: yeah, I
0: was going to say, what's going to impress Nigel? Name one man. It's not Hennessy. Luke Shaw coming finish back
2: up.
1: is also Luke Shaw coming back is also massive. The injuries to Rafa Varane Ver- and also Martinez. Luke Shaw can play either center back or left back. Malassia as well. It gives them depth in the back line that they desperately need. That's my out.
3: <laughs> Everybody just totally didn't listen to a word you said after Cognac, <laughs> including Nigel Rio-Coker. Uh Sporting Lisbon against Juventus. and uh, Nigel, Juve obviously hanging over their head right now is this 15-point deduction that they might get back here. But massive game and a very difficult ask to go to Sporting Lisbon and really get anything from that game.
0: Yeah, it's a difficult ask. Again, I said, um, Sporting were fantastic for me in, in this competition and exactly their performance against Arsenal. And being at home gives them a real big advantage. In um, I think that they've really got a good chance. And Juventus, again, has been like, a, as JJ would say, a novella in Italy. So um, they've had so many crazy things happen throughout this season. Um, Paul Pogba, obviously, coming back is a big boost for Juventus. But there's just so much going on at that club right now. And they're not the only big club in Europe with a lot going on. But I like this sporting side, and I'm going to favor sporting at home.
2: Yeah, we seem oh, to be doing so much. Dangerous. With the Portuguese dangerous sides. You know what happened last time? You uh, favored a Portuguese <laughs> side against an, an Italian one. Right, hello,
0: JJ, we got two go games in fans. Are Getting the fans on me, yeah? right, Look at this. I makes a comment now. I bet it's going to be Ed or You'll someone who makes a comment.
3: Go get yourself a cognac. Uh, real quickly uh, Roma against Fiorentina, Unión and Central what against Leverkusen? JJ, which one piques your interest a little more?
2: Uh, I think I'd probably be more curious about Roma, Feyenoord, given that Feyenoord are ahead uh, and going away from home. Do you think that Jose Mourinho and Roma are able to dig it out of the bag and get the result? But Feyenoord, no mugs in this competition, especially not at this stage. That would be a huge result, not just for for Feyenoord, but the whole of Dutch football, because that run they went on last season really boosted them up in terms of the coefficient. So that's definitely one to watch. But the other one as well, you know, Union, the them being at home, that tie being level, you know, that would be a massive achievement for them as well. And they are, you know, one of the fairy tale stories. You know, we were talking about Club Brugge a while back, getting out of the group stages into the the knockout phase. But Union to be th- at this stage of the Europa League, that is Special. extremely impressive for one of Belgium's most historic clubs. Hmm. Do you know what JJ? As well.
3: As you know, Leverkusen are an 11 game unbeaten run right now. And my father was texting me this morning because he wanted to put a wager in the game and he said, Leverkusen, surely. And I was like, I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. This team, this team, Union St. Joa, what they have done in this competition, how free flowing they are going forward. Not, not saying that they're awesome defensively because they can concede a goal, but they are a dangerous side going forward. And some of the goals they're scoring, like, frightening. So, I'd be very careful wagering on that game, that's for sure, because I think Leverkusen might come undone in this matchup, unless Florian Verts has something to say about it. Quick prediction from the four of you before we do move on and just close the show out here. Mike, who goes through from the four games here and meets in the semi final, And then Nigel, and then JJ.
1: I'm going Manchester United... Versus Sporting Lisbon. Sporting very good at home like that. I am going with Union Shenzilwa. Because Boniface, there's something happening in Nigeria. This guy is in fuego in this competition. And Feyenoord is going to upset Roma at home. No Debala, a doubt. I think that favors Feyenoord.
2: Nigel.
0: Union, Roma, Man United, Sporting.
2: GG. Sevilla, Juve, Union and Roma. So Sevilla severe, severe after extra time. Wow! Like, right. Mike, answer, respond, respond.
3: Piss off, JJ. I thought. <laughs> you were but, it,
1: but in it,
2: but in any you, case, you
1: know how much that hurts me. That is like deja vu. That is back to the semi-finals of the Europa League. So how how are, you,
2: how, are you, how are you how are you confident knocking Sevilla out of the Europa League? I know West Ham did we, it last season, but that was a freak. we got JJ. We got
1: Marcus Rashford back. Everything's
2: great in this world. He's not know, guaranteed
1: he's going to play. He's on the squad. I just the love watching guarantee.
0: Michael talk about Man United so much. And every time I look at him, I see a bloody <laughs> flag in the background. Like, I just don't get it, but we'll leave it there.
3: American they do did, did you. say that? He said he's got more <laughs> clubs than Tiger Woods, nice. <laughs> All right, everybody, <laughs> thank you so like, much. It's, it's like even with his passports. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Mr. Bond just letting you know that I gotta go guys listen great job as always great week as well and obviously everybody out there who has been watching listening and following along the show make sure you join us tomorrow on Thursday for more good stuff obviously we have the YouTube exclusive transfer update with Fabrizio Romano at 10 a.m. Eastern followed by the Europa League recap at 5 p.m. Eastern as well Um, but everybody enjoy the Europa League Action Europa Conference as well and the guys will get stuck into it after they meet with Fabrizio early in the morning Uh, so join us 10 a.m. Eastern back here on house of champions I want to thank everybody out there for listening to the show uh please make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review in your favorite podcast platform we're available on apple podcast spotify stitcher and NMLC. listen to podcast also available as video so subscribe to us on youtube as well now as real coker i'm going to give you the honors to close out the show here go ahead
0: thank you fans spread the word if you want real football conversation with great people with real authentic personalities this is the best podcast and as for you ed Michael is the curse. So don't start trying to put that curse on me. I see your comments, Ed. Michael is the curse. All right? Whoever Michael backs never wins. And I can name more than Hennessy as a cognac brand too. Good night.
3: See you tomorrow, everybody. Good job, Nigel. See you later, boys. Great stuff.